So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to go through the entire chapter of Matthew 20. Typically, we go through a few verses at a time. We've been going through the book of Matthew. Uh, but this morning, we're going to tackle an entire chapter. And uh, I know that seems kind of uh, ambitious. And so what I'm going to do is instead of reading the entire chapter in Matthew chapter 20, and if you don't have a Bible, hopefully there's one in a chair in front of you or around you somewhere. Um, but I'm going to just kind of give you a synopsis of what's going on. There's four different events in Matthew chapter 20. The first is a parable that Jesus tells about some workers. Then he goes in and uh, he tells his disciples, he pulls them aside and he says, look, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer and die. And immediately after that, James and John's mom comes to Jesus and says, hey, I'd really dig it if one of them could be on your right and one of them could be on your left when you come into your kingdom. And then immediately, and then the disciples get all ticked off. Okay? And then right after that, he heals two blind men. Now, what can all four of these events possibly have to do with one another? They're very bizarre. But we've been talking about the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, sometimes things that might not uh, flow that great in the kingdom of the earth flow really well in the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus is talking about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the story uh, that Jesus told about these workers. Essentially what happened was, there was a landowner. This is a parable that Jesus is telling. He says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. There's a landowner. It's harvest time. He's got a vineyard. And so he's got to hire some workers to harvest the vineyard. So he goes out early in the morning, probably about five in the morning. The Jewish workday was from six in the morning till six at night, six days a week. So 12-hour shifts, Six days a week. A little different than we have now, right? They didn't have unions back then, so this is what they ended up with. Okay, so they had six in the morning and six at night. So the first hour, when the Bible says the first hour, it means six in the morning. So this landowner goes out early in the morning, probably about five, to gather up some workers so that they could start at six. And he says, I'm going to pay you a denarius. Okay? Now, denarius is a day's wage, but it's a pretty good wage. It's what a uh, Roman soldier would be paid. So if you kind of think of it in today's terms, it's kind of like 15 bucks an hour. Okay, pretty good. You know, you go hire a day laborer, right? You're not thinking you're going to be paying them $15 an hour. But that's what he says. You work the whole day, I'll pay you $16 now, uh, $15 an hour. I, I don't know if that's really the equation. So if you like do some research, don't, come, don't send me an email. Uh, so, uh, but it, just use your imagination with me, please. Okay, so he goes at 6 in the morning. Then he goes again at 9 in the morning. That's the third hour. And he says to the workers who are there in the marketplace, hey, you want to work? I'll pay you what's fair. He doesn't mention how much. Then he goes again at 12 noon. Same thing. I'll pay you what's fair. Come on in. Then he goes again at 3 in the afternoon and says, hey, I need some workers. Then he goes again at 5. There's one hour left. One hour left. And he says, come on and come work. He says, well, as a matter of fact, he said to him, what are you guys doing standing around? And they said, nobody's come to hire us. These people were not lazy, okay? They weren't, they didn't, it's not that they didn't get hired because they just got there. They'd been there all day long. And so they just had one hour to work. This is all they could, whatever they could make in that hour was what their family got for that day. So Jesus says, cool. Oh, the landowner, oh, I gave it away. Oh, no, the landowner says, uh, okay, uh, he tells his foreman, pull them all in. We're going to pay them now. And he says, I want to start with the people that have only worked an hour. So he goes, they come up, and he says, here's a denarius. 
right? About 100 and, I don't know, 170 bucks or whatever. So the people who are hired first are like, score! Because they're thinking, if they got a denarius for one hour, we're going to get 12 times that. It's going to be like Christmas time. I'll get the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip for my kids. We'll get a PlayStation, whatever. They're just going, this is awesome. And he goes down the line and he gives everybody a denarius. The ones who work an hour, the ones who work 12 hours. Well, you can imagine, right? I mean, you can imagine how they act. Like mature people, they go, well, we agreed to a denarius, so there we go. That's fair. Of course they don't do that. They start grumbling against the landowner. And they go, what is up with this? Those guys have only worked an hour. We've worked 12 hours, and that's not fair. And the landowner goes, I'm sorry. Did, did we have an agreement? Because I can't remember now. Oh, yeah, we do. It was a denarius. Now I remember. Remember you said you would work for a denarius, and I said I'd pay you a denarius. What's in your hand? Hey, what do you know? It's a denarius, right? It's magical how that happens. And they're upset. And Jesus says at the end of this parable, so the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And you go, man, what's that all about? We'll talk about that in a little bit. So right after that, he pulls the, he pulls the disciples aside. And he says, listen, I'm going to suffer and die. And have you ever been talking to someone and they say, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh? Like at times when they're not supposed to be saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. You ever do that? And it doesn't drive you crazy. And so you're just like, you're an idiot. Uh-huh. Ah-ha, I got you, right? Like, like, so you're saying, yeah, I w- uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're trying to tell the story. Well, this is what James and John's mother does. Because he's there and he's going, um, I'm going to suffer and, uh-huh, right? I'm going to suffer, die, right? Okay, good. Uh-huh. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. Can my sons be on your right and your left side? They totally missed the kingdom. She totally missed it, okay? Well, when the disciples hear about that, guess what? They start grumbling. Do you see a common theme here? They start grumbling. And Jesus says, listen, guys, if you want to be the greatest, you have to be a servant. If you want to be number one, you have to be a slave. That's what he says to them. Okay, got it, Jesus. We got it. We understand. Then they take off and they go for a little walk. And there's tons of people around them. And two blind guys start yelling. And guess what? the people start grumbling. Hmm. <laughs> All four just might be linked somehow. Let's see how they do it. I promise you this is the last time I'm going to show this graphic today. Um, uh, there's two kingdoms. This is what Matthew is all about. There's a king and a kingdom. He was a Jew. It was written to Jews about a Jew. Okay? So this is why we keep going over this. There's a kingdom of heaven and a kingdom of earth, and they're at war with each other. And it says, No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. There's always a tension between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. Always a tension. And this whole chapter kind of gives some insight into that tension. What are we going to be like if we live in this kingdom? And what are some hints to show us that we might be spending too much time in this kingdom? So let's go ahead and take a look. Four things I want to show us. First, it's his dominion. The kingdom of God is his. Everything about it, the scriptures say that uh, earth is his and everything it contains. Everything it contains. You can imagine, he kind of holds it up, you know. Yeah, this is all, you know, people falling off, you know, because he's shaking it. Uh, you know, but the earth is his. I mean, think about that. Like this is his, like it's his ball that he can play with if he wants. 
Praise God he doesn't play with it. But it's his. Everything in it is his. You think you got, what's in your bank account? His, right? Look in your closet, his. Your hands, arms, look at me, hey, his. Everything, it's his. It's his dominion. And if you look in chapter 20, you see this about seven times. In verse 1, a landowner, it's his land. He's the owner. In verse 2, he hires men to work in his vineyard. I'm sorry, that was verse 1. Verse 2, he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into where? His vineyard. Verse 4, he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 7, he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman. Verse 15, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Listen, When we start talking about the kingdom of God, it is vital, 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 vital that we never forget it's his. It's his. Your life is his, not yours. It says in the scriptures, you've been bought with a price, right? You were on the shelf, you know, a special discount. (laughs) He came in and he bought it. You're his. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've, if you've asked him to forgive you of your sin and you're pursuing a relationship with him, you are his, okay? His dominion, his field. Matter of fact, in Psalm 145, verse 13, it says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. So not only are you his, but in 50 years, whenever everybody says whatever is gonna happen is gonna happen, his, 2,000 years ago, his, 2,000 years from now, his, it's his, his dominion. And where we get confused is we kind of think it's ours and we want him to bless it. But it's not ours, it's his. Matter of fact, Jesus said just before he died, he was talking to Pilate and Pilate says, oh, so you are a king. And Jesus says this, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, who's got my remote control? Or did that just go off in my pocket? You guys want to listen to some music? Okay. I wonder why that... I think... I think yeah, yeah, I'll bet you do. You little stinker. Okay. All right. Okay, hold on. Just keep talking. Just keep thinking. Don't... Nobody be alarmed. I'm a professional. Okay. All right. Just for recent items. Let's go to... Ooh, Seven Habits. You guys can see what I do now. Footwork record there. Whoops. Sorry about this. I don't know why that happened. Nate, do you have any reason why that, no, any reason why that happened? All right. Maybe I should just get a PC, right? All right. So uh, he says, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my disciple, everyone would be fighting. To, to, try and, to try and save everything down here. But it's not. It's up here. It has nothing to do with it, you. That's, that's all mine anyway. Okay? It's his dominion. We have to understand that. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to kind of be tagging 1 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4 while we're talking about this because Paul really got this. Underst- he understood this. What was happening is the Corinthians were all arguing over which, which pastor they liked the best. Right? 
which like you guys do all the time, I know. At work, you say your pastor's the best. I understand how that goes, right? And so, you know, sometimes you get into big fights and I'm better than Rick Warren and all that. I understand that. I got it all. No, right? So this is what was happening. They're, they're arguing over, you know, well, I'm, I'm a follower of Paul. I'm a, I'm a free Methodist. I'm a blah, blah, blah. I'm a blah, you know. And Paul is going, oh my gosh. You guys have, are totally acting like it's this kingdom. You're naming people and well, all this kind of stuff. It's so big, much bigger than that. He says, so neither he who plants, that's Paul, or he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. It's his vineyard. It's his, you know what it takes to have a vineyard? It's incredible when you start doing the, what it takes to grow something. If you're a farmer, you're, you're intimately aware of your land. You know what to plant, what, what crop, and then Every crop has like a bunch of different seeds you can choose from that are, that are specially made for different types of soil. You got to choose that seed. You got to choose the right fertilizer. You got to choose when to fertilize, when to water, when not to water. If you water too much, you water too little, when to harvest, when to take that harvest and store it, where to store it, how to store it, when to sell it. Lots of decisions to be made. God has all that under control in his kingdom. A harvest comes, he needs lots of workers. Why? Because he's a good farmer. He's a good farmer. Okay, so it says this, the man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each one will be awarded, uh, rewarded according to his own labor, for we are God's fellow workers. Now listen, you are God's field. We say it's his dominion, it's his vineyard, it's his field. You are his field. Your life is his. It's his dominion. He decides what you do and do not do. See that? Why? Because he's a loving God. He understands. He created you a certain way. So we make all these decisions, and you know, there are some we don't have to pray about. I, don't, I didn't have to pray about which shoes to wear this morning, okay? Maybe some of you are saying you probably should have. They don't really match. I, I don't know, okay? So I only got two pairs of shoes, so what am I going to do? It's his dominion, okay? The second thing is, it's his day laborers. Now, when I talk about day laborers, uh, you know, n- now in America, immigration is like a huge hot-button topic. Put immigration aside, okay? Forget that there's even a topic, immigration. Just forget it, okay? All right. When you go to Home Depot, there are people there, okay? There are people there who are trying to get work, okay? Now, you can label them whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, but they're people. They have friends. They call each other on the phone. They go to birthday parties. They do everything everybody else does. They're people, okay? So put aside all the, well, should they, shouldn't they, blah, 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 the law, blah. Just put it all aside. These are people, but they're day laborers. This is how they make their living. And did you know, next time you go in Home Depot, when you buy Home Depot, I can't Something changed in my heart. I don't know when. Again, not on the immigration topic, but one day I was driving and I actually looked into the eyes of somebody who was waiting to get work. And it was like I saw everything. I saw their kids. I saw their house. I saw, I saw everything. I saw them as a human being. And it, it broke my heart because I started thinking, Man, what if I had to do that? I'm blessed, right? So, but here's the thing. You are a day laborer. Did you know that? Yeah, you are. You're a day laborer. You're a laborer in God's field, and he's choosing, he's going to choose what you do and what you don't do. Well, I don't really like digging trenches. Too bad for you. 
Because guess what? That's what he has having you do today. See, your day, every day, his mercies are new every morning. Do you want to know why? Because every morning you wake up, you are his day laborer. He picks you up in his car and says, get in. And you don't know what you're going to be doing that day. And he drives you around and he says, see that dude? I want you to talk to him. Up, oh, okay, you're done. Let's go. Now I want you to do this. I would like you to work as unto me and not as unto yourself. That's your, what your job is today. I'd like you to, you are his day laborer. And you know what? I praise God because he really cares about day laborers. Even in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there are, are rules for when you hire day laborers. You pay them right at the end of the day. Don't let the sun go down. You don't, it's not, you don't pay them on the week. You pay them right at the end of the day. And you know what the scripture says? I love this. In Deuteronomy, it says, because their heart's set on that. Their heart's set on that. That's how they take take care of their family. Okay? And so so their heart's set on that, and they're poor, and the the scriptures understand that so much so that they say, the scriptures say, if you don't, and they cry out to me, it's sin against you, and you're in trouble. Okay? God cares about his day laborers. I praise God, because I'm a day laborer. We're all equal. We're all day laborers. I'm the pastor. That means I'm up here. No, day laborer. You're president of CEO of a company. Wow, day laborer. Okay? You're a teacher. You're a fireman. You're a policeman. You pull over, pull me over, spread them, check me, all that. Day laborer, right? Doesn't matter. In God's kingdom, we're all day laborers. And it's so awesome. Now, now why is this God chooses for some reason it's his harvest his dominion his field he chooses somehow to use us i don't know why but he does he needs laborers he needs laborers he needs lots of day laborers so much so that he gets the people in six in the morning and then nine in the morning and 12 in the afternoon and three in the afternoon and then five in the evening all to what to harvest it's his vineyard we gotta get this stuff done Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out day laborers into his harvest field. We've got to find more day laborers. Every day he's asking you to do something. Maybe something different every day. I think that's fun, actually. Right? So what happens is, he says, all these day laborers get paid the same. And we go, man, that's lame. No, because what got paid was fair. It's his dominion. You're his laborer, right? And so then you go to the next story. What happens? Who's going to be first? That's what the, that's what the disciples want to know. The, James and John brings, brings their mom into it. That's just so awesome to me, right? They're, they're, they're behind her, and she comes up, you know. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of this, you know. <laughs> You just stay back there, boys. He doesn't know how important you are. Oh, he doesn't understand your gift. You're special. She comes up to Jesus. Jesus, and this is, she's really immature. She says, I don't know if you've ever had a kid say this. Um, will you say yes to something is essentially what she says. Well, what is it? Well, just tell me. Just say yes, and then I'll tell you what it is. You, know, you, ever, you ever seen a kid do that? And you're like, how about I just slap you, okay? No, <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? So Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is a great, a great uh, gentleman. And he says, uh, no, uh, I won't, but why don't you tell me what it is? And she said, it doesn't really matter which one, but have one of them sit on your right and one of them sit on your left. That's all I want. Okay, I'm done now, 
right? And off she goes. And Jesus is like, did you just hear me talk about the suffering and the death part? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, what? Uh, Suffering, yeah, yeah, right and left, which one is it? He says, man, you don't understand. You can't drink from this cup. And the two guys, the two guys go, oh, yeah, we can. And Jesus is like, you are so down here. You just don't, you don't have a clue. But he said, but you know what? You will drink of the cup. And they, and they did. Uh, James was the first martyr. And John, he was the first dead martyr. John was the first living martyr. Got sent to the island of Patmos to live out the rest of his days. They both drank of that cup. So Jesus is saying to them, look, you want to be first? You want to be more than a day laborer? You want to be the great? You want to be the owner of the vineyard? You want to be the greatest? You got to be a day laborer. He says this to them. Not so with you guys. The, the, the people of the world, they, they lord it over everybody. Not, that's not the kingdom of God. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. Now watch what he says. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to become first must be your slave. He says, so watch. Watch God's economy. It goes like this. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. The higher you want to go, the lower you got to go. How low can you go, right? Okay, right? So that, that, that's how God's economy works. And it's really cool. The word, he use, uh, the word he uses for servant is where we get our word deacon. And it's just so telling to me what we, okay, so, so if you meet somebody in church and you're talking to them, oh, yeah, you know, are you involved? They say, well, yes, I'm a deacon, right? I mean, some churches, again, I don't blame anybody for whatever field they're working in, but they got a name tag that says Deacon Bob. And they've thought, yeah, or they'll say, I'm on the deacon board. Yes, I've been on the deacon board for 10 years. I'm very, very influential. Very, you know, you can, they use it as a title, it was never intended to be a title. It was never a, a, a religious term back then. It was servant. You'd hire a deacon to pick up trash in your front yard. You want to be on the deacon board now? <laughs> I don't think so, right? It's like, yeah, you know, are you involved in the church? Yes, I pick up trash. I'm on the pick up trash board. You know, I even have a thing, pick up trash guy, right? A little name tag. That's what it is. You want to be great? You want the kingdom of God? Listen, listen. So Jesus is saying, it's okay to be great. It's okay to want to be great. What does that mean? It means to have the fullness of God flowing through you to such an extent that you are doing great kingdom damage. Do you want to have God's spirit flowing through you? You want the fruit of the spirit just manifesting itself in your life powerfully? powerfully? Serve. Serve one another. Serve your wife. Don't worry about titles. Be a slave. You want to really go crazy, then you're in shackles. And again, Paul understood this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants. That's all. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. How does he see himself? A servant. Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. When you, when you drive by the day laborer and the Again, sometimes I, it almost chokes me up because it, it's, just so, it's just so sad to me. You know, because when you drive in, they're just so eager to work. 
And it's like, man, I'm just replacing a washer in my sink. But if I wasn't, I'd do something, you know. It's just, they're, they're people. And he, what, what, what are they looking for? They're looking for an opportunity. That's all. An opportunity. Again, throw the immigration thing out. I'm not going to say it anymore. I just, some of you, I just get the sense that you're just like, well, you know what? They should stay in their own country and then we wouldn't have, you know, okay, forget all that. Okay, they're just looking for an opportunity. Okay, I understand all that. He says, as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. The Lord has an opportunity for you to be a day laborer. Exciting stuff to do, exciting kingdom work. He says, I planted Apollos water, but here we go again. It's God's dominion. God was causing the growth. He uses a great, great word in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, so then men ought to regard us as servants. And that Greek word there is an under rower. And, and, and it's, it's like if you know, you know, back in those days, if you had a big ship and there'd be those big oars and there'd be some slave down there shackled to the thing and he'd be pulling one oar to try and make that thing go. Paul says, you know what? When you think about us, let's see, pastor, no. Uh, how about under rower? Do you see yourself as an under rower or just a, now look, but it goes on. This is what makes it so exciting. So then men ought to regard us as just rowing boys of Christ and those who are entrusted with the secret things of God. You know what it's like? I was starting to use my imagination this, this week. So, well, yeah. So, um, like, imagine you're, you're, you're checking out a movie. Do you guys ever see Lord of the Rings? Okay, so Lord of the Rings, they got the Hobbit, whatever his name is. I can't remember his name. He got, he's got this ring. Everybody knows how valuable the ring is, right? What's his name? <laughs> Gosh. Oh. All together now. Okay, so, so Frodo, right? Frodo's got this ring. Everybody knows how valuable it is. And so a lot of times you see him, he just, he looks just, you know, he, well, he looks like a hobbit. I mean, he looks just, you know, kind of gross. I mean, he's cute, but he's got the big feet and stuff. So he, he, and he's just wearing kind of a robe, just nondescript. And sometimes you'd see through the robe, you'd see a glimpse of the ring, and you're, everybody's like, oh, man, oh, don't lose it. Dude, button it up there. Hide that thing, you know? It's a value. And this is kind of, like, imagine the, 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 um, the movie camera kind of, like, comes down into the, the belly of this ship, and it smells, and the people are all tatted up, and he's got chains on, and, uh, you know, it's just, and there's a taskmaster there, you know, and you're, oh, you know they're all rowing and then all of a sudden it just like glimpses and you see like some medallion or something that we know is super valuable that is your life you're just an under rower but inside is this is the gospel of jesus christ this valuable thing that you carry around with you everywhere you go that can just totally transform it's super powerful this gospel you have it. And that's what he said. He says, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, these under rowers that are entrusted with the secret things of God. See, it's not just that you're a day laborer, but you've got the most valuable. You're almost like in disguise. <laughs> Think about that when you go to work this week. You're in disguise. You've got something valuable. And at the right time, you bring it out. When God pulls over to the side and says, I've got an opportunity for you, get in. You're his day laborers. He says it this way in Romans. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to who? The Lord. You're his day laborers. Number three, it's his discretion. He decides what you get paid, when you get paid, how you get paid. 
In Ezekiel, in the Bab- Ezekiel was a prophet that was uh, prophesying during the Babylonian captivity. There were some several times when the Babylonians came and brought the Jews uh, into captivity. It didn't happen just once. It happened over several times. And Ezekiel was the prophet during that time. And basically he was saying to the people, oh, by the way, do you want to know why you were in captivity? It's your sin. That's why. So don't be getting all like these evil Babylonians. It was, it's you. You're the problem. Very tough word that Ezekiel had. And he says, yet you say, the way of the Lord is not right. They were grumbling. They were saying, this, is, this isn't fair that we're in captivity. Oh, house of Israel, hear now, house of Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? This is what God's basically saying. I'm wrong? No, you're wrong. <laughs> That's basically what God's saying, although not with the attitude. Uh, and so he says, is the way of the Lord right? No, you guys are wrong. I'm always right. I'm always fair. It's my discretion. If I pay the guy who walks through, comes to Christ, if I pay him a, uh, if I give him salvation and you've been laboring at your faith for all this time and you get salvation, so what? I'm right. If you've been in a ministry your whole life and you've been the king and you've been, it's your ministry, it's your ministry, and then someone comes in, brand new to the church, takes over the ministry because that's the way God wants it. That's the way God wants it. No grumbling or complaining aloud. Hopefully, you're in a church where they pray about that kind of stuff before it happens. <laughs> but but uh, that's the deal. It's his discretion. He says, if you look in here, he says, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Right? He says back here, he says, uh, the workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Whew, expectations are powerful, aren't they? You come to a church or you're in a ministry, you have expectations. Hey, I've been here a long time. Maybe I should be promoted, blah, blah, blah. Are you in a company and you want to be promoted, whatever, and it's not happening? Maybe the Lord isn't, is letting it not happen. You say, that's not fair. His ways are always fair. And then here's their big problem in verse 12. He says, you've made them equal with us. <laughs> Man, that's, a, that's an indicting statement they make. You've made them equal with us. We're not equal. We've worked harder. See, in God's economy and God's discretion, we are all equal. I'm equal to you, even as the pastor. Makes no difference. See, it says this, the fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom and humility comes before honor. In God's, by God's discretion, he wants you humble before you're going to be great. This is what happened to Jesus. It says he existed in the form of God. And he said, you know what? I'm going to put that all aside and I'm going to humble myself. It says he humbled himself and became a bondservant. And now... Because he humbled himself at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. Because he went through suffering. See, we don't like suffering in America. We like equality. We like the pursuit of happiness. We like everything neat. We like comfort, which is fine. It's the greatest country in the world. I'll give you that. But a lot of times in God's economy, that's not what he's looking at. Suffering has value. Trials have value. That's why when we go through trials, we, we count it all joy. Why? Because there's something happening in this kingdom, in his kingdom. And so he, that's, and that's what he tells the disciples. Guys, not so with you. It's not the same with you. You're different. It's my discretion. 
If you want to be great, become a slave. That's what it's all about. He decides. Look at what it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's going to be worth it. If you're going through something right now, the Lord's allowing you to go through something. Now, some of us are suffering because we did it ourselves, okay? So you're going to have to figure that out one way or the other. It's like, Lord, you know, I know you're having me go through this debt because, you know, and it's like, because you bought a jet ski. So that's the answer to that one. Now let's go, you know, right? So you've got to figure out, is the Lord allowing you to go through something? Okay, if you're in a marriage, you're in a marriage. It's the way it is. You're married, and you're to remain married. Why is the Lord allowing you to go through this? Well, maybe it's to test you. Maybe it's to show you that he's there for you. Whatever it is, it's an eternal weight of glory. There's no, by his discretion, for some reason, suffering brings great reward. That's why Jesus said, right in the middle of all this, the Son of Man has to suffer. I want to die. And they're like, well, who's going to be the greatest? It doesn't make any sense. It's his discretion. There's a Lutheran commentator named Lenski, and he says this, the great men are not sitting on top of lesser men. They are bearing lesser men on their backs. That's a great statement. Are you bearing someone on your back? Are you helping support somebody? Are you lowering yourself so that they can be exalted? If you are, the rewards are incredible. Not only in this life, but also in the life to come, it says in the scriptures. Really awesome. It's his discretion, though. We don't decide. We don't have our little kingdom and say, could you sprinkle some sugar on that, please? Right? He decides. He decides. Number, the last one is his desire. He got to understand his desire. It's compassion. He's not saying, yo, suffer, suffer, and then you'll really get it. Yo, you know, this is, he, he knows how it all works out. And he has a desire that people come to Christ. That's his desire. And when you look at it, he goes out and he gets labor and labor and labor and labor. And guess what they all receive? Salvation. They get paid the same. There's nobody who gets a greater salvation than anyone else. Now, there will be rewards in heaven and crowns and all that. I don't know how it works out, but it works out. Oh, we get some stuff, okay? <laughs> but I don't, I don't know what it, it is. Uh, so, but as far as who are concerned here, no, but everybody's the same. His desire is that all men come to salvation. He desires that nobody perish, but that all come to salvation. Look what he says here. After he rebukes his, his disciples, he says, basically, do what I do. Just as the Son of Man did not come t- to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's the first time in the New Testament this word is used, that there's actually a ransom, that a- Christ actually did something to pay for somebody else. That, that, that word is the price for the release of a slave. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. You were a slave to your sin. Oh, no, I could stop any time. <laughs> no, you could not, because you have not. All right? So Christ comes, he dies, and he says, I've paid that price. That's my desire. I have compassion. Remember, we read it in uh, Matthew chapter 9. He looked out over the 
crowds and he felt compassion for them. Why? They were sheep without a shepherd. That's what he says. He gave his life as a ransom for many. That's his desire. And when he sees these two blind guys, now we're at the, the, the blind guys. So they're coming into Jer- Jericho um, and they see these two blind guys and the blind guys say, son of David, it's his messianic title. Matthew does not miss that, right? Because we're talking about the Messiah and the kingdom. He says, son of David, have mercy on us. And you know what the people tell him? Be quiet. Why? Because you're messing up our time with Jesus. I'm close to Jesus now. We got it. And now you're, he's trying to talk. He's trying to go somewhere. And you're messing it up with all your shouting. God forbid that we get like that. Don't get anyone new. Don't have, oh, that person smells. That part, oh, they're messing up my time with Jesus. Ugh. The crowd rebukes them. And they, they, this is, is so, this story is so incredible when you put all the gospels together. So the crowd's rebuking them. Shut up. Jesus is busy. I got stuff to do. I got someone who needs to be healed. And if he heals you, it's going to drain him of all his power. And then I won't get my thing, right? Okay. There's only enough Jesus to go around, everybody. Okay. So, so Jesus hears them and he feels what? compassion and he says to them what do you want me to do for you now he asked the same question to uh the disciples mom what does she want she wants something something she wants the one to sit on the right the one to sit on the left they go we just want to see that's it we just want to be able to see and, and I'm telling you, there are people surrounding you everywhere you go, on the bus, at work, that just want to see. And yes, they're obnoxious, and they cuss, and got, you, every day they come into work and they talk about their uh, new girlfriend and blah, 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 and what they drank this, and they did that, and they did this, and you're like, ooh, don't ever get that way. It's very dangerous. This is what the crowd did. Now watch. This is so cool. I just said that already. You're like, can you get to the cool part? Okay. So Jesus heals them, right? And in Mark, he says, now go your way. Go, go your way. In Matthew, it says, and they followed him. Their way, the way they chose, was to follow Jesus. And then it says, and they were glorifying God. Okay, now watch. In Luke, it says, they followed glorifying God. And then it goes on, it says, and even tells us, in Luke 18, 43, that the whole multitude started chanting praise to God. The very people they didn't want, they were wanting to sh- tell to shut up were the ones that rocked the church service, that made it awesome. You see it when we do baptisms here. Yeah, you know, we come in every week, we sing praises, we listen to an unbelievably incredible sermon each week, right? We do, we do all this kind of stuff, but when there's a baptism, it rocks it. To me, Maybe I'm the only one, but baptisms are like, why? Because you see the power of God just completely transform somebody. So the people they were trying to oust, the people they were trying to get to be quiet, the people that were getting in the way, all of a sudden become the vehicle by which all the praise is given to God. You see that? Do you see that? Okay, good. Because you guys were looking at me like, okay, we just want to see, all right? Look at what Peter says. For you know 
that is not with perishable things such as silver or gold or anything down here that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but by the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Again, we look at it. He saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 